everyone. It's good to be back. I've been gone for a little while, and actually the last time you heard from me up here was the beginning of January. So I'm glad to be back and be able to share a message with you. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, if you want to go there. But before I read that passage, I want to talk about priorities. Whether we realize it or not, as soon as we wake up in the morning, our mind is already sorting out priorities. As soon as we wake up, we have decisions to make. Now, for most of us, that number one decision and first priority is to get up and run to the bathroom, right? <laughs> That's just a fact of life. That's not the case for everyone. And once we get done with number one priority, most of us will grab our phone and begin looking at news, emails, Facebook, our calendar, getting a head start on prioritizing our day. What has happened during the night that I need to know about? What's impacted me? What's been added to my already hectic schedule? I tend to believe that in our fast-paced, high-tech culture and these devices has caused us to prioritize our day in such a way that we can accomplish or squeeze in as many things as we can during the hours that we are awake. And when our heads hit the pillow again, it is our hope that we can feel like we can say, today was a success. And we usually measure that by how much we got accomplished that day or how much we did manage to squeeze into our day. And the next morning, we start that process all over again. Would you agree with me that that's a fair assessment of most of our days? What it's like? It's not, the, it's not always like that, but that tends to be the pattern that we fall into. Now I want to ask as well, is there anyone who's willing to admit that they struggle with prioritizing their day, the activities in their day? There's a few of you. Thank you for your honestness. I will confess to you that there are times when I struggle with priorities. You can ask my wife. She'll confirm that. But I, I hope that I'm not as bad, and I hope that you don't struggle as much as what we see in some of these photos I want to share with you. Look at the first photo. Baby cat, baby cat. Second photo kills me. Do I work on the cleaning the fire truck or do I put out the fire behind me? <laughs> There's something messed up there in priorities, isn't there? Sometimes it's not the fact that we don't know how to prioritize. I think the challenge for us comes in the fact that we often lose focus on what is most important. And unfortunately, arranging our priorities can become even more of a challenge for us when we are confronted with what appears to be two or more good choices. Choice number one is a good choice, and it will produce this set of benefits. Choice number two is a good choice, and it will produce a different set of benefits. I can only accomplish one of them in the day. Which one do I choose? When weighing the choice between two or more good things... I will suggest to you that we will most often choose the activity that is easier, impacts the most people, 
or the one that reduces that sense of urgency and expectation that is hanging over us. And as it pertains to our Christian walk, we want to be able to say at the end of the day, I accomplished something for God. Right? Good choices we have to make. But how do we know for sure if we made the better choice? That is the scenario that is presented in today's passage. So we're going to look at that passage, uh, Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story this morning. We do realize and declare that you are holy, holy, holy. And you have something that you want to teach us, something that you want to say to us this morning. Would you open our hearts, prepare our minds? Lord, would you lead the way? It's in your name I pray. Amen. This story immediately follows the story of the Good Samaritan, which we heard about last week. In the Good Samaritan story, an expert of the law asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. I want you to understand that the echo of that question is still before us. Jesus has the expert answer his own question, and the expert responds by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus proceeds to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, through which he teaches his disciples, that's me and you, how to love our neighbors as ourselves. But then Luke includes the story of Martha and Mary immediately after that. It is not a story about women in the Bible. It's not a story about salvation. It's not about overly dedicated, committed Christians. After hearing about how to love our neighbors, we are now taught how to love God. And as far as lessons in what is important in discipleship and being a disciple of Jesus, this lesson is the most important one in all of Scripture because if you do not let this one sink into your heart, you will miss out on so much of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So how does discipleship fit into this passage? The two sisters represent two sides of discipleship. Both of them are good. Both of them are necessary. And they complement each other when they are held in balance. Martha represents service. And Mary represents reflection. Or I would much rather prefer to say she represents personal spiritual growth. 
Both are essential to the church. I want to clear up a few misconceptions that abound about Martha. Throughout church history, she has become the poster child for every lesson about what is wrong with a life that is too busy and too distracted. She often gets accused of being worldly, and some even suggest that she's not a true follower of Christ. This is a great error. This casts the shadow over Martha and her love for the Lord. Other passages clearly reveal that Martha is a follower of Christ. She is a believer. She has declared him to be her Messiah. She is in the process of actively serving her Lord. And in the passage, Jesus does not discredit her service to him. This passage is about two good choices. Martha's choice to serve the Lord and his needs. Mary's choice to absorb the words of Jesus. Martha crosses the line. She gets into trouble when the priorities of her choice are made to be more important than Mary's choice. And she comes to the conclusion that Mary needs to be involved in her choice. And she brings her concern to Jesus in such a way that reveals she's expecting Jesus to come to the same conclusion that she has. And she's expecting Jesus to send Mary scurrying off into the kitchen to help her. Now, as Jesus so frequently does, he responds tenderly to her. Martha, Martha. But he also exposes the heart of the matter. Jesus reveals that she has allowed the anxiety and the trouble that she feels to become a burden to her. Her service to the Lord is no longer a joy. It is a weight. Luke writes that she is distracted. And this means that she's being drawn away from the one thing that is most important. The one thing that really matters. The anxiety and the trouble she feels has now jumbled her priorities. She loves the Lord. She wants to serve Him and meet His needs. But suddenly she is lost in the swirl of everything that needs to be done. I believe that she wants to be able to go to bed that night and be able to say, it was a good day. Jesus' visit was a success. His ministry was well served. I accomplished something today. Now, how might Martha relate to us today? I think in the church we see a very bad case of too many Marthas and not enough Marys. And I know that some of you who are in ministry and leaders, in your mind you're thinking, what? Oh no, we already have a hard enough time finding people to serve and to volunteer and to to fill ministries. And you're saying we have too many Marthas? Are you crazy? No. What I'm saying is that we have too many people whose priorities have become jumbled because they have lost focus on what is truly important. I am suggesting to you this morning that when arranging our priorities between serving the Lord or personal spiritual growth, we will choose the option that one is easier, serving the Lord, we believe will accomplish the most good for the kingdom, serving the Lord, or will be weighed by others in the church as the most productive use of our time and our talents, serving the Lord. 
We will choose service, or may I say busyness, over personal spiritual growth. And in doing so, we make a good choice, but we miss out on making the better choice. We have a very real tendency to begin thinking about what we can or even must do for Christ, which makes us service-focused. And we lose focus on Christ and what he has done for us. And we get caught up in the whirlwind of trying to meet ministry needs within the church. And we become anxious and overwhelmed because there seems to be so much that needs to be done. We can see so many things that need to be done and there are so few people doing it. And our service to the Lord becomes a burden and our joy evaporates. In reality, only a few things or even one thing might be needed. But because we put such emphasis on service, we may even end up doing things that the Lord isn't even interested in. Do you think that's possible? I do. So how do we know what the Lord is interested in? It's an amazing thing that in only two sentences, Jesus can say so much about discipleship. And maybe you didn't even realize that Jesus is talking about discipleship. Is Jesus talking about food in his response, or is he talking about spiritual matters? There is a little bit of ambiguity in the topic that Jesus is discussing. We know that Martha is scrambling to prepare a meal, probably for a large group of people. Most would agree that Jesus' words here carry a double meaning. While he's telling Martha that a simple dinner or even a single entree would have been sufficient, he is also telling her that there is a different dish present and she's missing out on it. I want to read Jesus' reply to Martha again, but this time I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version. There's nothing special about this version, but it just says it differently. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Many translations use the word portion in it. Other versions, such as the King James, say part. Mary has chosen something. Now, I think the New International Version does a good job of emphasizing the good or better choice that Mary makes. But it diminishes what it is that she actually has chosen because it just uses the word it. Other versions indicate that she has chosen a part or a portion. A part or a portion of what? If Jesus is talking about food here, he may be referring to himself. Jesus is telling us that Mary is partaking of the better food source. In John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And Jesus also says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is Mary doing in this story? She is sitting at the feet of Jesus. First, that indicates to us that she is a disciple of Jesus. But she's also sitting there listening to his teaching. She's absorbing his words. 
Her soul is being fed by every word that comes out of his mouth. But I think there's even more here. I think that the use of that word portion or part has significance. Because this word is used in other passages of the Old and New Testament in reference to both fellowship and inheritance. As a disciple of Jesus, Mary has taken has chosen to participate in fellowship with her Lord and to claim and enjoy her inheritance. We are invited into fellowship with Jesus. We are told in Scripture that when we believe, we have fellowship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Over and over again throughout the Gospels, Jesus is inviting us to come to him. And that invitation isn't only to the unbeliever. It is for those that he calls his own because he knows that apart from him, we will fade, we will wilt, we can do nothing apart from him. And he even laments over those who won't come to him who won't accept his invitation. But Jesus is also our inheritance. Do you understand that if you are in Christ, you are an heir of God? Not an heir of the things that God has. We have inherited the righteousness and the life of Christ. That is our hope of glory. It is Christ in us. Do we comprehend this? Do we grasp the significance of this? We are invited to experience the inheritance that we already have through the Spirit of God living in us, with whom we can come to know intimately if we would just take the time. And the same promise given to Mary is given to us. Our inheritance will never be taken away from us. I think that in so many ways we do fail to grasp these truths because when given the choice between service to the Lord or personal spiritual growth, we will choose the lesser good. Now I want to get personal this morning and share a story with you. I love this story of Mary and Martha because I witnessed it unfold in my very own life. For many years, I was a Martha. With every church that I was involved in, I served as much as my time and my schedule would allow. I was a Sunday school teacher, drama, ushering, children's ministries, youth ministries, outreach events, worship team, sound team, deacon, elder, finances. The list can go on. I thought that I knew the Lord, and I thought that I was doing all the right things. But around 2011, 2012, I began to feel that something just wasn't right. I began to feel dissatisfied, hungry, worn out for sure. But the the biggest feeling that kept nagging at me was that I just didn't know God the way I was supposed to. There was something missing there, something broken, broken in that connection. 
So in 2012, I made a very conscious and deliberate decision to start spending as many mornings with God as possible. And at first, my time started off rough. I read a few passages of Scripture, maybe a devotional, jotted down a few notes on a piece of paper, and I tried to pray. And there were a lot of times when I wondered if this wasn't a waste of time. But I kept at it. And for six years straight, I spent every morning that I could at the feet of Jesus. And during that time, my comprehension of Scripture began to grow. I began to hear the voice of Jesus talking to me through these pages, telling me who I am and who He is. And my prayers became passionate conversations with Him. The the time that I sat with God began to grow from a few minutes to literally hours when it was possible. The few notes that I had made turned into pages that I was writing. And I looked forward to the time. There were actually times when I wanted to spend time with God, but I couldn't because I had something on my schedule. I had a different priority. See, at the time, I operated a handyman business, so I had appointments to keep. And I remember times praying to the Lord, Lord, I want to spend time with you this morning, but I can't because I I have to go do this thing. Only to have the phone ring within seconds and have the customer apologizing because they would have to cancel my appointment today because something had come up. Believe me, nothing says God wants to spend time with you more than when that happens to you. And it happened more than once. At that time, God worked on my soul. He healed many wounds. He removed so much fear. He taught me so many things about myself. And the course of my life began to change dramatically. And the passion for Christ began to be rekindled within me. And I wanted others to know about this God that I had experienced. And I was introduced to new ways to serve God. And I began to say yes to God in so many things. And in ten years that I made that decision to spend time with Him, I moved from being a private business owner to becoming a pastor. Even five years ago, I never would have imagined that God would have me standing up here as a pastor at PAC today. No way. It's because of the life-changing results that come from choosing the better to sit at Jesus' feet. And some of you are probably thinking, whoa, if that's what spending time with God does to your life, I'm not sure I want any part of it. I'm pretty happy with the way things are right now. But I can promise you, oh, yes, you do. He's not going to turn us all into pastors. But I can tell you with full certainty that God wants to spend time with you and He wants to tell you how much He loves you. If we would only practice the discipline of sitting at His feet. And I call it discipline because so many days it is hard. It is a challenge. It is work. It is difficult to commit 
Because everything in your flesh and everything in the world around you is telling you to do otherwise. I want to return to Martha and Mary, but in a different passage. If you would, turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we're going to read the first three verses of that. John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is another meal, a different meal, after the time of ours in Luke. Here again we see Martha serving, but this time without complaining. Here again we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, but this time we also see Mary serving Jesus. See, the time that Mary spent growing spiritually at the feet of Jesus has allowed her to serve him in a much more personal and meaningful way. Choosing to spend time with Jesus does not diminish our service to him. Instead, it informs us about how we may better serve him. And our service springs out of what he has done for us rather than what we think we should be doing for him. And the result? It fills the church with the fragrance of love and joy and thanksgiving and peace. These are the sweet aromas to our Lord coming from the church. Our lives as disciples find balance when we choose to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now many of us will readily admit that we neglect to spend sufficient time with God. For others, there are those that do take opportunities to spend time with God, but it's often the first thing that gets scratched off the list when our day becomes busy. That's a big struggle for me. There are some who are simply content with where they're at and have no desire for further spiritual growth. Most of our excuses revolve around not having time to spare, or we have too many items on our list to take care of that demand our attention. There are pages of statistics that I could show you how much time we really do have and how we tend to use it. But I'm not going to try to convince you to spend time with God by showing you a bunch of statistics that show you that you really do have time. What we suffer from are bad habits and bad choices. You see, so much of the time we're not even making good choices, we're making bad choices. There is one bad habit that I want to mention and perhaps challenge you on a bit this morning because I believe it has a huge impact upon whether or not you will actually spend time with God. So here are some statistics for you. 
70% of all adults take their phone to bed with them. 82% of teens do. 72% of those 12 or under do. 69% of all phone owners have been on their phone within the first five minutes of waking up in the morning. Before the first hour is up, 87% of all phone owners will have already been on their phone. As I mentioned in the beginning, we're, we're checking news, Facebook, emails, calendars, social uh, media. Nearly everything that we access is designed to hold our attention or designed to want us more, to give us more information, seek more information. Much of it is negative in nature. When the first thing that we look at every morning when we open our eyes is bad news, someone else's latest gripe, or the next thing that has been added to our already hectic day, the odds of you ever turning or spending time with God drop dramatically. Or if you do go to Him, you're already in a sour mood or you're already short on time. I say this most of all to challenge you to avoid going to the news first thing in the morning and try to find something that good that God has to say to you. That's the best way to start your day. This is near and dear to my heart. Maybe you've sensed that from my story. And I want to share it with you. In the fall of 2020, I offered a small group. I think I called it Spiritual Formation and Discipleship or something like that. Obviously, that sounded like a very dry topic uh, because only four of you signed up. <laughs> As we progressed through the weeks, we began to call it Wasting Time with God. Because our natural response on a bad day of trying to spend time with God is to think that we've just wasted a bunch of our time. Nothing can be further from the truth. Time, our time, spent with God is never, ever wasted. I'm going to be offering this group again in August. I may even offer two groups, one in the evening and one during the daytime for those who don't, don't have evening opportunities to attend. The goal of this group is to get you started on the path of spending regular time with God. And I know so many of you have made valiant efforts at that before, only to quit in frustration. And the various causes for those frustrations are many. The group setting and the lessons that you will hear are designed to give you a much better start and much more support. Accountability is part of this group because you will be expected to participate weekly. So watch for small group information. Um, I'll probably be calling it investing time with God rather than wasting time with God. That might turn people away too. I don't, I don't know. Let me know if you have questions. Let me know if you're interested and I'll be getting more information out. But I don't want you to decide to attend this group just based on my own testimony. I want you to hear the testimony of someone else who is in this class. In the next several months, you're going to be hearing from each of our current elders. 
Today we get to hear from Terry, who's going to share some thoughts with you. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Terry Peterson, and I'm one of the elders here at the Plymouth Alliance Church. Today, I would like to share a choice I made a couple of years back that impacted my life. Question for you. Do any of you have a difficult time staying disciplined in doing your daily devotions like I do? Yes. That changed for me when my wife Kay and I went to one of the care group Bible studies, the one that Tim just mentioned. During the first night of this study, Tim challenged us with four statements. Number one, he challenged us to spend 30 minutes with God daily. Two, to journal our time with God. Three, share each week something from our devotional time that spoke to us. And finally, Tim said, if we don't learn anything from this study, his prayer was that we would be committed to spending 30 minutes a day with God. I knew this would require changes in my life. The next day, I started my devotional time with more of a focus on time than on God. Tim said there will be days when you don't get a lot out of your devotion time, and that's okay. The important thing is we were spending time with God. One day, a few weeks down the road, as I was sitting, staring out the living room window, kind of in a chaotic state of mind, God spoke to me. He said, be still. There is peace in being in God's presence. God showed me that distractions I needed to take away from my time spent with him, which for me was the phone. I would spend way too much time on that, and it would always be at the start of the day. Once I did that, my time spent with God became easier. I looked forward to reading God's word and seeing how it applied to my life. The quiet time with God, listening, talking, praying, became the focus. The time I spent with him drew me closer to him and helped me through life's daily struggles. I want to leave you with one more question. Have you made the right choice to spend time with God daily? Thank you, Terry. What is the lesson on how to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind? First priority of a disciple, sit at the feet of Jesus and absorb his words. They are life-changing. They are healing. They are sustaining. It is the better choice. And from that choice will spring a more fragrant service from us.
And through it, we will be loving God. So many of the things that we do here in the church and for the church are temporal. They're good, yes, but they're temporal. As a disciple of Jesus, you will be spending eternity with him. The Bible makes it pretty clear that once Jesus returns and gathers his bride, his bride will be wherever he is. His bride will forever be by his side. Do you want to keep investing your time in temporal activities? Or do you think it might be a good idea to get to know the one that you will be spending eternity with? That is the question that I want to leave before you this morning. Let's pray. Oh, precious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and allow us to feel a hunger for you. Lord, so many of us spend our time seeking other things, doing other things, and we don't even hardly have time to think of you. Lord, make us hungry. Make us thirsty. Give us a a heart that would be willing to come and just sit at your feet. Lord, however we may start, may it be a few minutes, whatever, would you allow us to, to find a way? Show us the way to your feet, Lord. Lord, would we see change and growth and development in our lives because of that, because of the time we get to spend with you. And most of all, Lord, would we come to understand just how much you love us and how much you have done for us. We ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.